and impressed. How many questions does it usually take to spot one? I don't get it, Tyrell. How many questions? 20, 30 cross-referenced. It took more than 100 for Rachel, didn't it? She doesn't know. She's beginning to suspect, I think. Suspect? How can it not know what it is? Commerce is our goal here at Tyrell. More human than human is our motto. Rachel is an experiment, nothing more. A lot of people don't know this, but I almost had a date with Rachel. It's true. In Hollywood, once when I was doing this, uh, sorry, when I was doing Saturday Night Movies. Cool thing. All right, that was uh, Blade Runner, a clip from Blade Runner on uh, This Movie's About You, the show that believes you really don't know anybody till they tell you about the movies they love. My name is Tom Ernst, and uh, this movie is about you as the podcast you're listening to. We're at Le Rev Restaurant, uh, 2848 uh, Dundas Street West in Toronto. And uh, that song that you heard is written by my good friend, uh, Louis Maroney, and it's sung by the owner of Le Rev, which I find fascinating, Indira. Uh, and and uh, so we thank her for that and giving us our, our, her space to do this podcast. Um, we're going to introduce our guest in just a few moments, but uh, first I want to uh, point out that, uh, Lewis, yeah, uh, we're on, uh, our, how, how many podcasts is this? I think it's number 75. It's maybe around there, yeah. Yeah, I hmm. think that's fascinating. Yeah, that's okay. good. That voice you heard is Mr. Lewis Maroney. There we go. Thanks, Tom. So, uh, Tom, yes, uh, you're a movie guy, right? Oh, I'm certainly a movie. I identified as that. Yes. Right. So you've studied the history of film, and you and I have talked a bit about black and white versus uh, Technicolor. We have, of course, movies were once silent and evolved over, evolved into talkies, and and then there's 3D film, the isolation of different perspectives of the same scene to the left and right eye to enhance the perception of depth. Uh, it was first patented as a process in the late 1800s, mm-hmm. if you didn't know that, and has enjoyed various levels of popularity ever since, as the technology has both improved and become less expensive to produce. And I recently experienced the D-Box at Cineplex, which, uh, where your seats move and shake with the action on the screen. But with any medium... I was there with you, remember? Yeah, we ran yes, into each yeah. other, which is weird. Uh, but with any medium, you can't just rely on the quality of the delivery to engage an audience. You need a human vision behind the technology to maximize on its potential to touch hearts and minds. Well, our next guest is a director, storyteller, and artist who has worked with multiple mediums, including 3D, notably the film uh, Daily Battles with New York-based French, French artist uh, Beatrice Coron. Did I pronounce that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, the award-winning stop-motion 3D short film Foxed. If his continued success and accolades are not proof of his ability to inject life into technology, you just have to experience one of his productions. And, and if it is the vision and not the technology that is the real value of a production, then in theory, our audio-only, mono production of today's podcast should be just as engaging. But for right now, James E.D. Stewart, I'd like to welcome you in person in front of this live audience to This Movie's About You. Yes, thank you. All right. All right. Thanks. It's great to be here. All right. Thank you, audience. Thank you very much. Unexpected audience. They thought they were just getting a Mexican meal. They did not know they were going to get an excellent podcast as well. Free. We're not going to charge you. Uh, Mr. James Stewart, thank you so much for joining us. I love Foxed, by the way. Thank you. And it's still, like, 
going on progressing into something it's a little else. machine yeah it's well it's a machine but it's a machine that also needs uh every now and then uh, sort of a push a restart maybe like uh I don't know, so, because because it, it's, it's, it deserves to be a bigger film, and I think it wants to be a bigger film. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. That's the intention. Yeah. So, yeah, we're working on developing it into a feature film, and, uh, and it's amazing. I say it's a machine because every day it just – there's more and more and more kind of a community that builds up with Fox. There's a, there's a German language fan version. There's a Japanese language fan version online. Um, has, has almost 15 million views online. So with 50 million views, and it's already being translated, and it already has a fan base, yeah. why isn't it a, a, you know, a full-length feature film? Well, it's, uh, it's an expensive film. It's a dark film. Uh, it is a kid's film. And uh, uh, you know, it's, just, it's just a matter of time until you know, the right partners come together and embrace it. Because um, yeah. we, do, we do have a big fan base, and I think that's really it's proven as a story and as the characters are proven. So who wouldn't want to jump on that? Neil Gaiman writes uh, dark, dark children's stories, and they get made. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Neil has seen it, and he, he uh, quite liked it, actually. So okay. ba- you know, back to the fact that it's a great story, do you think that it, will, it would have been as popular in a different medium as opposed to uh, 3D? Uh, well, I think the 3D was part of it, but I think it was popular because of the story, because of the character, because of the uh, the look of it. Um, you know, it's a great the sets or caves and things like that, mm-hmm. and uh, it just it resonated with people. And, I, and there, there's kind of a cliffhanger ending, um, which people really like. Um, it's, you know, some people think it's a little scary. She doesn't actually get killed at the end, but there's an implication that she's being uh, taken captive. So. Some people go, oh, my God, they killed her at the end, which is not true. I never thought that. I never but, thought that. She well, was the interesting thing is putting your work online is, is, you know, if you're a painter and you have your painting in a gallery, you're not reading the fan comments, right? But when it's online, you actually can read all the comments and what people are saying. And as they forward it to their friends, they say, they say oh, you got to watch this. Oh, my God, they kill her. No, they don't. Yes, they do. And people argue and debate it and um, – do you welcome that kind of debate, or do you just go? Because oh, I I really don't like uh, a comments on the video. They've, even if I don't work on the piece, which obviously I don't because I don't make film, but I uh, read the comments and I get frustrated if I believe the person has read the film wrong. Yeah, I mean, I I don't get worked up about it. I in, in this case, it's putting my work out there for commentary, creative commentary is kind of a new thing for me because I'm. My background is I do commercials, and you know they go out there, and you don't really ever hear about them after you do the work. And uh, the more I do personal projects, the more I put them online, and and I I just don't worry about it. You know there are the trolls, the haters will hate, and yeah. you know people eh, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. I love it; it's the best thing I've ever seen. People debate that, but uh, and it's once neither you, once really. You, once you be. put it out there, it just it just. Uh, I'm just trying to get build an audience and you're, you're that not loves alo- it or hates it. And you're not alone in being new to this because the uh, the ability to be so open to the public and made and available is is a relatively new thing for artists. Yeah, and, and, for sure. And do you think that that has an effect on the art itself? I don't know if it has an effect on the art because I think not from my point of view. You know, I like to make create stories and. The, the platforms seem to be different almost every time. We we just finished a web series. I've done, you know, stop motion animation, two D, three D, visual effects, live action, and you know, all these different things. 
And uh, I, I think that, you know, you want to tell your stories, and each time I, I try to tell it on the platform that I think will, will suit it. Um, so, you know, technology is changing so fast. And when I got into the 3D thing, it was, this was in, the, you know, 2004, like five years before Avatar. So I kind of rode that wave, and I watched this evolution happen in the whole industry. And then I watched it kind of quiet down post-Avatar. You know, the Avatar was the biggest film ever, and then um, Coraline came out, and there was a number of other films that were very successful and in 3D, and that was kind of when I made Foxed. I made it in 3D because I was doing a lot of 3D work, mostly commercials. Wouldn't it be absolutely ridiculous if you didn't do it 3D because that's your signature style? Well, it, it is and it isn't. I mean, I, I've done a lot of 3D work, and, and now that's leading to VR, virtual reality work, yeah. um, which is sometimes 3D, sometimes 2D, sometimes other technology invented for the project. So I think what what, what I've been kind of pegged as is, is the, the kind of technology storyteller. So people come to me for other commercial work or my own projects that I develop to, to just tell stories using um, – using technology in a, in a creative way. And so the 3D and the VR and 360 and I've done large screen, high, hyper-resolution uh, projects. I've done you know, is all the, kinds of Is things. the idea with the VR is that people would have VR units in their house and that they would experience it there? Or you, do you create a, a, a controlled environment for people to... Uh, typically now VR is either 360 on the web, which is the mass adoption of it, or it's with a, a head-mounted display, so right. something on your head. That allows you to see 3D. Yeah. Do you uh, are are you enjoying this um, sort of being the point person to explore it, storytelling with these different mediums? Yeah, I I enjoy the opportunity to work. Yeah. And keep working. <laughs> right. And make yeah. a living and and do the kinds of projects I want to do. So so I feel very fortunate that that uh, you know I've been stereotyped as anything. Right. Um, which is a great problem to have. Um, but but I I do find that. Uh, I I have this fearless quality to uh, storytelling, and and uh, and I'm not afraid. I'm not locked into. Well, it has to be a movie. Has to be on a cinema screen. Mm-hmm. You know, it 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 could be anywhere. It could be projected on mist. It could be an environmental installation. It could be a museum installation. It could be online. It could be all these different places. And I think, you know, we're seeing the whole industry kind of go that way now. You know, there's a, there's this fierce battle between cinema and Netflix, etc., and and where that leads, we don't really know. But you know, it used to be like going back uh, a, over a decade or maybe two decades, if you made an independent film, your options were let's say it was an independent feature film, your options were film festivals and maybe local cinemas. Right. That was it. You couldn't play it on TV because it wasn't a TV show. And there was no. Now you can do whatever you want, and you can put it wherever you want. And monetizing it is a challenge, but you can at least, you know, you can produce content, great stories, and you can put them out wherever you want. Right. And it's so empowering for filmmakers. Yeah, but it also is. Uh, like, I mean, I find I find sometimes that that the ability for everyone to make film and everyone to think that a filmmaker is is also. Um, I don't know, making the ocean bigger. And, and, it is, uh, for sure. But I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing. Well, the, the good news is it's easier to make a film now. The bad news is everybody's doing yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. But, but it's like a pencil. You know, everybody can write, but that doesn't make them writers. And so eventually, you, you, the, the good writers 
you know, damn you for shooting down my my my. Well, hey, well, how does your writing? <laughs> does this tie? <laughs> no, not mine. Not not that it needs to, but does this actually tie in to a certain degree with your first choice, Blade Runner? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I, I think it had a big big impact on me. Um, you know, I remember seeing it in in high school, and uh, and to me, it was just it was a great fantasy and. You know, it, it was mind-blowing. And, and I think it, it has resonated with me over the years because I like Ridley Scott. I'm a fan of his. And, you know, he, he one day he's doing Blade Runner and Alien. And the next day he's doing Thelma and Louise. And then he's doing more Aliens. And then he's doing All the Money in the World. Like, he bounces around and he does commercials and he does art films. And he, he really has spent his career in a similar way that I have aspired to spend my career, which is, working on the platforms that are appropriate to the project. Hmm. You know, it, it, 3D in itself, and I, and I, th- I think it's because Blade Runner was never in 3D, although if it was made today, which it was actually, uh, but a different <laughs> version enough. of it. Who uh, knew that you were allowed to remake it? If I knew somebody would entertain that idea, I would have said, I want to remake that. Yeah. But I thought, they'll never let anybody do they, that. Well, listen, they, they're, 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 uh, talks to remaking everything. They remade Casablanca. At one time, it was an absolute. I'm going to remake Metropolis. Don't tell anybody that. You could. <laughs> you, you make it sound like I know you say that for yeah. us to go. Oh, come on, that's a big joke. Of course you can. Yeah. You know, you could probably that go and try to remake Godfather. Remake. I mean, you would have to be, you know, accept whatever hits yeah. come. Ooh, Godfather re- in VR. You should remake Godfather yeah. three. Well, somebody <laughs> needs to. Yeah, I don't think it was actually or just made. Recut it. Yeah, recut <laughs> it. Out. But that was one, you know, that was a tragic story in so many levels. Yeah. The making yeah. of that film. What I wanted to say is that, uh, um, as uh, as Lewis pointed out in his introduction, that uh, 3D has been around since the 1800s, mm-hmm. and it's enjoyed a limited popularity in different decades, and nobody ever thought it was going to be successful. It was going to have little bursts of uh, novelty, and now it's pretty hard to find a movie that's not in 3D. Well, and it and it took over the cinema experience, and yeah. and in, and in, you know people, the media often like to say 3D died, but it hasn't really died. In fact, there, the, all the blockbusters are still in 3D, and the uh, the cinemas are all in on 3D, and they they kind of were pushed into 3D because they were pushed into digital, mm-hmm. and the. Um, the studios wanted everybody to go digital, and the exhibitors didn't want to because they had these great 35 millimeter projectors they'd had for 20 years. And uh, but they said, "You're not getting digital 3D unless you go digital." And this movie Avatar is coming up, and it's going to be huge. So you better get into digital and digital 3D, or you're not going to be part of this Avatar thing. So that's what pushed everybody into 3D. Right. Right. And and it still exists. There's still you know the local cineplexes typically have three and or they four. Knew, they knew Avatar was going to be huge. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I lived through that, and I remember seeing uh, James Cameron at a at a conference, very very humble. And this was like uh, James a, a week humble. before it came out. He was he was so humble, and he was. He was like, "Yeah, you know, we hope it's going to do well, but you never know." And mm-hmm. and then uh, and then he and he famously said, when he was totally accurate, he said, "It's not about the opening weekend; it's about the second weekend, because this is not the kind of film that will, you know, be be that big opening weekend. But once people see it and talk about it, it'll it'll go." And that's exactly what it did. And it was crazy; it just True. started chugging. And but at the same time, everybody was waiting for Avatar to hit the big screen. Like I mean, the yeah. the, pre- the the preview screening was like people were killing, not literally, to get those tickets. Yeah. Um, so, but Fox as, as a film, I mean, uh, you know, uh, we want to talk about 
your choice of movies, Blade Runner. But Fox as a film is a perfect film for 3D. I'm not just saying that because you're a friend and you're here and, 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 and you do 3D. But it's a movie about other dimensions. So how can it not be 3D? Yeah, is, is my is my mind. Well, and it's about psychological dimensions. It's about visual dimension. Yeah, and and I think that um, when the film is made, it will also be in on various platforms. Right. But <clears throat> but 3D has really been a stepping stone to what we're seeing now in VR. VR wouldn't exist if we hadn't gone through this digital 3D revolution. But are we so, ever going to see a, a VR movie? And uh, I remember once I was one of my part uh, my I just kind of go. Oh, this is. Uh, where the my what I liked took over what my job was, and that was when you invited me to host a, a VR conference and uh, a panel. And uh, what happened was, I'm thinking, virtual reality movies. This is fantastic. Can you imagine what a horror movie would be like? Yeah, I never said. You know, other things were in my mind that I didn't say. But a horror movie would be like, or any kind of drama. Blade Runner being the center of that. Of course, all your guests were thinking of doctors being able to study operations oh, and right. things like that. And I kind of went, oh, nobody's thinking along the line of movies. Well, that, that's true, too. I mean, uh, the applications for VR, there's a lot of very practical applications, you know, for, yeah. you know, having a, a, a virtual experience, whether it's on Mars or anywhere. Um, but the uh, there are horror movies in, in VR that are very, very interesting. I would and, be and it's very successful. Horrified. I could show you stuff that would scare the hell out of you. You probably could. Because mm-hmm. you really, after about 10 seconds, you really get a sense that you're actually there. You forget you have the headset on. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it's, the same, it's the same horror gags, but the, the, the chilling effect that you get when you, are, when you really start to believe you're in the room or the basement or whatever it is. Mm. You know, that, that, that feeling you probably had when, the feeling I had when I, when I saw Paranormal Activity the first time, yeah. you know, nothing is happening, and then suddenly the hair on your, on your arms just goes... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, the so, VR, so the VR experience is actually an enhancement to the possibility of st- storytelling. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, it, and it's changing very quickly. Like, I don't, I don't really know where it's going, but, you know, we had 3D. We still have 3D in cinemas. 3D TV didn't take off because people don't want to wear funny glasses at home. I wear funny glasses at home all the time. Right. <laughs> but the uh but but now there's VR with headsets with very high resolution heavy headsets that's going to get lighter so it's just your glasses. Um are people you know, going to Are people going to sit in a movie theater like they do now except there's the screen's going to be blank and they're all going to have headsets on? I don't I don't think so cuz I uh, people will try that for sure. They are doing that right yeah. now, but but a movie experience is a collective experience, and so you kind of laugh and you cry as a group when you watch a cinema screen. Um, when you have a headset on, that's a singular experience, even mm-hmm. though you can have groups in the same environment. You might see them, uh, but they could be in another town or another country. So I think once you put the headset on, you're losing the group experience. So they're, they're kind of different experiences. But, but one thing we're seeing now in cinemas as well is as LED screens are going to take over projection. Wow. So the LED screens now are getting better resolution and, and they're just they're tileable, scalable and they're gonna uh, they're gonna take over projection. Can, can you imagine I'm sorry Tom, I just gotta ask this question because it's burning at me now. Okay. Can you imagine the scenario of sitting in a movie theater with a bunch of other people with their VRs on VR headsets on and it's set up in such a way that you can see everybody virtually sitting around you and it's like you're all watching a screen is there any value to that notion? You know, that, that is an interesting idea because what I would do in that scenario if I was directing that project is I would 
have VR headsets on everybody, and then I would put create avatars for all the other people. Right, yes, right. So yeah. They could all be skinned yeah. as characters in the movie, dragons or, or whatever uh-huh. you want. So you could actually, and you can see through. And you could see them react to the film. You could see them react. You can see through the uh, uh, the headset as well. There's there's like a part of the app allows you to see through the camera. So you can, you could, sometimes you could see through it onto the cinema screen or you could see the characters around you. Hmm. And, th- and that's what happens in the group gaming VR experiences. You're walking around. You can see the other characters and they're, and they're skinned in some kind of character. Right. There's, um, I didn't have anything to do with this, but there's a, there's a, a thing at the um, there's a VR experience at the rec room um, down mm-hmm. near Skydome. Yep. Uh, where there's a Ghostbusters game where four people go in and, and you're there as Ghostbusters shooting. You can see each other. It's, it's pretty, and also at pretty the Cineplex, they have, uh, I did this with my daughter, you, they have this, uh, you both wear the um, full garb yeah. and then you can see each other and the, the experience is you're evolving from an amoeba into a dancing robot. Yeah. And so you can see yeah. each other evolve and you can talk and you can hear, your voices are modulated so you can hear each other through your earpieces but your voices are modulated yeah. and, and uh, you can interact with each other yeah, so is, yeah. is that yeah. cinema or is that gaming it's hard to say it's yeah. something in between because i think typically a cinema experience is not going to change it's, it's a passive experience someone directs a story and you want that person to tell you a story right. but then you have to go back to uh uh what was the movie brainstorm or brainwave or brain something that uh, natalie wood's last film uh i forgot the name of it now uh, where it was about that, where you put on the headsets and mm-hmm. you experience all sorts of things, and including somebody on a loop who's experienced having sex with somebody, and, and it actually drove him crazy because it got caught in a loop. Um, but that kind of experience, where it's not just it's it's not a story you're experiencing; it's an experience you're experiencing, right? And that is different, right? Yeah, and, I mean, and we're seeing that anyway because you know younger people particularly are watching movies on their phones now yeah so it doesn't matter how big and wide the shot is and how beautifully lit it is it's going to end up on someone's phone mm-hmm. yeah so when christopher nolan shoots imax films sadly they're still framed for 16 by 9 to play on someone's phone so yeah. he's not really he's not really framing it like a woody allen movie where a character comes down one corner and mm-hmm. ends up in the far corner he's still framing it for for tv or for you know some platform you know, I feel, not I feel like I feel like I know so much more about Blade Runner now. Yeah, but we should go yeah, to yeah, 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 uh, yeah. we should go to the next clip. We should, but I I do need to say one thing about the framing. See, with with the old directors of the '70s, like Altman and Godfather and stuff, they would do little tricks in their films so their films could not be shown on TV. They absolutely refused. They couldn't, they couldn't be reformatted they to have fit to be well, scanned. Yeah, Woody Allen did well, that no, too. No, 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 not just that. They did things like Robert Altman put music in his film that would not get the rights for terrestrial oh. television. <laughs> so it could not oh, be shown on TV. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Anyway. I, I, sh- I should try that. <laughs> That'd <laughs> be limiting. Should, I mean, Nolan should try something that where his films can only be seen well, on I, big I, screen. When I realized that, I forget what I was watching, one of his films, and, and I was very excited, and I saw it in IMAX, IMAX film print, at the Scotiabank in Toronto here, and I and I realized, I thought, oh my God, he, everything is framed in a regular way. It's IMAX, and they're shooting with these huge cameras that you take an hour to reload, and they have like every IMAX camera in, on set, and it's, as a director, that would be a nightmare to have to shoot with IMAX cameras, mm-hmm. but all the more power to them. You know, they have this ginormous set, and uh, but I realized... Wow, he's shooting IMAX, but but all he's doing is adding more headroom on the characters. 
and he's and yes, the wide shots are wider and they look better, but the character shots are just there's just way too much headroom on them. Right, and and maybe also there's uh, too much effort being put into the framing, not much, uh, and which takes away the effort into the yeah. storytelling and the characterizations. Yeah. Lor- uh, Lawrence. I'm sorry, I was mixing up Lewis and Maroney at the same time. That's right. Yeah, uh, Lewis, can you play that next clip of, for, of us? For not of us, but you just, I'm just going to stop. Mom, what are you doing here in the middle of the night? You're just in time for supper, dear. You're not my mother. My mother doesn't have buttons. Do you like them? I'm your other mother, silly. Now go tell your other father that supper's ready. That was Coraline. Coraline, sorry. Coraline, which is something my daughter watched while we were on a cruise. We were on a boat cruise, and she was only like three. And there was maybe four. And there was nothing else on in the television but that. And she watched it over and over and over again. Rather than watch nothing, she watched something that could scare her. But Coraline, a Neil Gaiman uh, film. And uh, I kind of understand this pick. Uh, in accordance to James Stewart, because it's 3D, but that's not the only uh, connection you must have with this story. Yeah, no, I, I really liked it. I've always loved Neil Gaiman and uh, Henry Selleck, who directed it. He did Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, you know, he's a great animation director. And uh, and this was also happening. You know, Avatar came out, and Coraline was the next 3D film that came out. And uh, and it was uh, so. I was a fan of it. I was. I really wanted to support it and hoped it did well. And uh, and it just was very inspiring because it was a beautiful film with great characters. You know, it's kind of like my Fox movie. You know, written by a guy, even though the lead is a as a young girl, and uh, it's about growing up. It's a very very similar story. And that's seeing Coraline is what inspired me to make Fox. In fact, in, in a very practical way, I was shooting a 3D commercial. And one of the guys on it was the camera assistant, and he was a, a stop-motion cinematographer. And, and at the rap party, we were talking, and I said, "I want to make a, you know, I'd love to make a 3D stop-motion film." And he said, "Well, let's do it." So you did it with him? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But actually, no, he didn't end up doing it because he got too busy and went off and shot a feature in Spain. But but it, that was kind of he brought the team together, and that's how we made the film. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, what does makes uh, a, a male write uh, a female protagonist, female lead? Good question. You know, I, I, I really believe, and this is not a popular opinion, but I believe that as, as a writer you are allowed to tell stories that are not your own, and I think you're allowed to tell stories from a perspective that is not your own. People do it all the time. Mm-hmm. People do it all the time. Men and women write male and female characters. And, um, you know, but it's uh, it, it's not a popular concept. You know, Spike Lee would not let Norman Jewison make Malcolm X because, you know, he had to make it. That was, that was a f- even famous, though, yeah. Even yeah. though Norman Jewison made one of the best, you know, Afro- Afrocentric films ever made in the heat of the night. And Hurricane. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know... And I remember when that was, you just could not fight back. And, and you, you know, you can't really even have that conversation today. But um, I do believe that, that as a writer, you know, I, I want to write perspectives that are not my own. And, when, and when I you, think we should be allowed to do that. When you do that, do you think that there is a onus to, um, to I want to say publicize, but be transparent about that? Like, look, here's my story, but I am not a woman, for example, or... 
or do we, or does the writer is it better for the writer to stay hidden? Well, I think I think every every screenplay is written by a man or a woman. In rare cases, I guess there's writing partners, but it's typically a man or a woman, and there's always men or women in the film. Mm-hmm. Or are they? So right. Yeah, or, or even, yeah, exactly. And I think that, I mean, I, I don't really want to get into appropriation because I know that that is not something we want to do in society. Um, but I, I, no matter what you do as an artist, it's your perspective. Right. So whether it's your perspective on animals or men or women or, or uh, culture or music, or it's still always going to be your perspective. So if I write a, a film about... Um, indigenous characters, I, I would work really hard to be as honest in the storytelling as I can. I'm never going to say, hey, I'm indigenous. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but that doesn't mean their stories are not part of my culture because they are. They're part of our Canadian culture. But then you could write a story of uh, your perspective, your character would be you as a white man. I'm just going to an Irish man or whatever you happen to be. What is Stuart? Scottish? Scottish Irish. Yeah, Scottish a Scottish Irish man looking at the indigenous society from that point of view as opposed to writing a character who is indigenous. Not necessarily though because I wouldn't necessarily be the character in the film. You know, I would uh, I could be writing about a whole bunch of other characters. I'm not suggesting I would make dances with wolves or, you know, these kinds of fish out of water films that that put a white guy in someone else's culture. But I think that's but, the way you can do it if you're not indigenous. Well, and, and not even specifically indigenous. I, I can write about um, NASCAR racing. I can write about yes. going to the moon. Yeah. I, and I probably will never go to the moon. You know, I can write about space exploration. How do I do that? I do a lot of research, and I try to get into the minds of astronauts. Right. And and so when I made uh, Foxed, I, I'm not a, I don't have kids, and I'm not a, a, a 12-year-old girl. But I know 12-year-old girls with nieces and nephews, and, and I listen to them, and I and – I, talk to a lot of kids and to get inside their heads mm-hmm. you know what I like what you said about there is that I, I'll never go to space probably <laughs> not yet <laughs> no. I, I, I like that you Just said that with so, Elon Musk we might so yeah. Tom what do you think the two movies uh, how do you think they connect to to James well they're both for me I think they're both extreme worlds uh, of, uh, of a different perspective and one of course is in the future so your imagination can go anywhere uh, and also, I, I think Coraline is also about a, an alternative world, not science fiction, but certainly in the fantasies of a personal mind. I think someone who uh, works with 3D, I think someone who's fascinated by that and for someone who's fascinated by story likes to see depth in a picture, whether it's literally with 3D or whether it is uh, tied to a, a depth of perception in the imagination. How's that? Yeah, that's great. Okay. What do you Absolutely. think? Absolutely. I think I think I'm I'm always trying to find layers and layers and layers of depth in story and and in the visuals as well. So that that translates into either animation or visual effects or or 3D. But I also think that the environments that you're talking about it, it have been inspiring to me. And so I always try to whether I'm putting characters in an environment or putting the viewer in an environment, um, trying to make the experience as heightened as possible. Because particularly Blade Runner, like. I, I fell in love with the look of that film, and I've since done a lot of shooting in Japan. And it, and it was so familiar when I got there. I was like, wow, this is... This you know is, this, this place, This yeah. neon is, is, you know, I see exactly what they were doing. And and now that LED lighting, like every town now is becoming is becoming like Tokyo, 
putting LEDs on all the buildings. Mm. Oh, yeah, yeah, young streets. We're, we're all becoming Blade that, Runner. Yeah. Yeah, I think there is really a, a push towards that. But you know what I also think, too, and we can't forget that there are replicas in um, a Blade Runner, and there are replicas in uh, Coraline as well. Good point. Right. Yeah. There you go, the replicants, for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I always pronounce it wrong. Replicants. Replicants, right yeah. And I, I, don't, I should have had uh, Daryl Hannah doing backflips, but we didn't, we all we didn't have the budget for that. <laughs> we all should, but that never happens anymore. Um, James. Thank you so much for joining us on uh, this movie's about you. Uh, I've been wanting to have you on the show for quite some time, and I like the work you do. Hey, can you give us a, a, a quick shout? Give a quick shout out to that your recent success online. Yes, uh, Shadow Laurie, the web series was launched uh, about a month, but six weeks ago. We have three million views online. We have sixty-four thousand followers on Facebook. And uh, we're pitching it as a as a drama series as well. We're raising money for season two of the web series. Ah, congratulations! Amazing. And how long did it take to get three million? Um, it's about six weeks. Six weeks. It took us like ten weeks, I think, to get. Yeah. Yeah. Ten All right, it hasn't happened. Ten yet. million. Ten million. Yeah. Anyway, didn't work. <laughs> uh, anything you'd like to say as a sign off? Uh, well, thank those? you. Yeah. Uh, as well, and uh, uh, if you wanted to give one. Uh, point of contact for people to uh, learn more about you, what would you uh, choose? That was my question. Uh, well, I'm on Twitter, at uh, James Stewart 3 d You can follow me there. Uh, Shadow Laurier is on Facebook, and it's on the web. You can Google it, but it's, uh, we launched it on Facebook, so Shadow Laurier, the web series on Facebook. And Foxed is everywhere. Foxmovie.com is mm-hmm. uh, our main hub for Foxed activity. And... Um, yeah, and uh, I'm on Facebook too, but just friends and family. <laughs> and uh, and you can find us on Facebook at yes. uh, This Movie Pod, um, or you can find us on Twitter at This Movie Pod, or you can find Tom on Twitter at Real Tom Ernst. That's R E E L Tom T H O M is how he spells his name. Right. And then Ernst, as Ernst. in Max Tom, Ernst, as in yeah, Tom yeah. Ernst. No, no, yeah, no, I'm Tom Max Ernst, Ernst and Max okay, Ernst. Right. Yeah, both the you know the artists, but yeah, Real Tom Ernst. Great. Thanks. And Tom, you have anything to say? I always do. Uh, uh, I'd like to say, uh, remember, one good movie deserves another. Thank you for our wonderful audience today.